0: whether it's my praise, my gratitude, my resources, I know you are not in need of those things. But I am in desperate need of giving them to you. I want you to know, Lord, that I love you today, not, not for what you can do for me in the future, but for what you've already done. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you use these, our gifts, to win people to Jesus Christ. We thank you for the freedoms we enjoy, O oh Lord, both nationally and what you've provided for us spiritually, because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I bless you this morning, Father, and I ask for your Son to be glorified through the preached word today in Jesus name. Amen. Turning your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 23. seems like some of the people are out of town or took today as a lake day, and Lord, you know how much we need rain? So, <laughs> let it rain. No, I'm teasing. We do need the rain, though. Up in Forsyth, we're, we, we've got cows scratching the word why in fields. You know, so and say, well, it rained the other day. No, we need a week or so of rain. But we can pray that it rain around their boat on the lake. Make the water real choppy. Luke chapter 23 would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word I'll be reading a portion of the story of the crucifixion which took place literally literally took place two thousand plus years ago on a hill called Golgotha where Jesus Christ the Lord was crucified between two thieves our sin was placed upon Him, He became sin for us. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But I want to single in on this one portion of the story that is so intrinsically simple and profound. To my knowledge, it's the first story of eternal grace. That somewhere in heaven today, there is a thief who died on the cross. He believed at the last moment and has been present with the Lord ever since and knows more about grace than 10,000 preachers. I want to speak to you on the subject of the sinner and the Savior. Let's read together Luke 23, verse 32. And there was also with Jesus two other malefactors, which means robbers. Now these were not thieves that would go into a house that was unoccupied. The Greek word implies these these are people that would violently accost people and beat up the weak and the elderly and blindside people and rob them. And they were led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they would come to the place which is called Calvary, they were crucified with him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was referring to the mob around him, the Roman soldiers who were crucifying him, Pilate that released him and the Jews that were thirsty for his blood. And they parted his garments and cast lots or rolled dice for them. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him maligned him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. Now, Paul's there for just a moment. I won't take long, just look. He saved others. They meant it mocking. But no greater truth has ever been spoken in the word of God. He saved others. He saves others. If he be the son of God, let him come down and save himself. But Jesus did not come to save himself, but to give his life a ransom for many. And the soldiers mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar or something to numb the pain. And saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a superscription was written over Jesus in letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew. And it said this, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing you're in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Would you join with me as I pray for myself this morning? Lord, I just present myself to you as simply as I know how, as humbly as I know how. I'm an unworthy vessel, an unprofitable servant at best. But I'm asking you today, O Lord, that you would anoint me with your spirit, that I would clearly articulate the principles found in this text that would bring people's spirit to life. Let the blind man say, I see what he's talking about. Let the numb person say, I feel what he's talking about. And let the unbelievers say, I believe in what he's talking about. Only you can do this, O Lord. I don't have the ability, nor do I wish to try to change a man's heart by man's words or wisdom. But you can, God, by your spirit. And let it happen to let people be born again by your spirit, with the entrance of your word, giving light and life. And I thank you in advance for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I'll be very brief with you this morning. I want to speak to you just about two things. I want us to look at the thief and the Savior. Both on the cross, both condemned, both dying. The thief on the cross, you, you, you have to see him to see yourself. You are Him, male or female, old or young, rich or poor, you are Him. You may not be exactly like Him in every trait, but the traits in His life are found in yours and they're found in mine. And what this is, it's a story that it's about the man, but it's not about the man. It's a story about God's view of us, God's judgment of us, and God's grace towards us. I want you just to uh, look with me at at this man and check some of these that apply to you or some that you really see yourself in and some where you can see yourself spiritually. This thief on the cross was guilty. He wasn't, there weren't trumped up charges. He was guilty. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible said if you've hated in your heart, you're a murderer in your heart. If we've offended one point in the law, we've offended all of the law. And we are separated from God because we are guilty. Now, we are not sinners because we sinned. We sinned because we are sinners. Adam sinned and when he gave birth, he passed that dead spirit on to his son and to his daughters. And sin started with the first Adam and continued on. That's why Jesus was not the second Adam, but the last Adam. And the earthly Adam passed on death, but Jesus Christ passed on life. This man was guilty. And there's no way to be saved. There's no way to be forgiven if we've not recognized our guilt before God. This modern-day gospel that just be better, do better, uh, feed the poor, uh, clothe the naked... Be a friend to the homeless, which are wonderful things, does not address the issue of our guilt. God is angry with the wicked every day, and his anger is stored up. The wrath of God falls on the children of disobedience. This thief was defenseless. What do you say to the charges against you and I? Very quickly. I won't ask you for details. It's, it's good just to assault your pride. I, I, I loved what Ken did. It rings true in our heart when we confess our sins. Not to be forgiven by men, but we, we tell one another of, of what we've done. Liars. Who, who's lied? Just put your hand up. Okay. Uh, addicts of any measure. Unfaithful. See, All those things, we know we're guilty. Unkind, untrue, lustful, prideful, arrogant, blasphemous. What defense do we have in front of the Creator? Well, Adam tried it. He said, The, uh, the Lord said, Did you partake of the fruit, uh, the woman that you gave me? No, no, no. You took. As a matter of fact, Eve was not the one God was angry with. She was deceived. But Adam willfully, willfully, Sinned against the Lord. There's no defense for that. See, this modern day gospel says do better, be better, act better. But it's not an issue of modified behavior. It's what of the sins? What of the sins? What of the sins? This man was notorious. The public knew him. He was known in the courts. He was known among the legal system. He was a known person. There are people in this room like me and Pastor Ken that our sins were known publicly. We were known for our wickedness, if you will. And some of you might not have the past I have, but you might have a worse sin, and that is of self-righteousness, which makes you think that you're not a sinner. And that's the worst sin of all, that blindness. But this man was known. His failures went before him. Everyone knew of his life, his choices. Uh, You know, when his mom and dad conceived him, they had great plans for his life, great dreams and ideals, and he met none of those. He was callous. This story was told in a couple of the Gospels, and in one of the Gospels, it showed him cursing Jesus as well. How does a man get to the end of his life and curse someone he's never met What kind of hardness or coldness? I'll bring it closer to home. What kind of man can walk away from his wife and babies? What kind of woman can walk away from her husband and babies? What kind of person could do physical, emotional, reputational harm to someone intentionally? Purposefully? What kind of person could do that? People like us. See? God's word is written in such a way that we cannot escape our guilt so that we will see our desperate need of a Savior because I cannot be forgiven of a sin that I have not acknowledged, that I have not repented of. The goal of the gospel is not to beat you down. The goal of the gospel, the preached word, is to let you know that you need someone higher than a preacher, a pope, a bishop, a cardinal. They can't help you. You need grace and forgiveness. This man was arrogant, helpless. See, when you get to the end of your life and there's no one there. Well, they can be there, people can be there, but no one there that can help you. You're about to close your eyes in this world and open your eyes in the next world. And there was nothing he could do. His sin that nailed him to a cross made him incapable of delivering himself in the natural. He could not come down and make a break for it. And our sin has made us incapable of avoiding spiritual condemnation. Helpless, hopeless, without God in this present world. That's who this man was. He was alone. Does it strike you that there was no family at the cross for him? No friends? No comrades? No people he were in business with? No lovers or wife or children? Now, that doesn't mean that every sinner has that part. But there's a spiritual truth here that's very important. When you get ready to die, you die alone. You die alone. There's nothing but you, God, and the eternity on the other side of your mortality. Arrogant, pompous, uh, brazen, blasphemous men have been known to be on their deathbed, crying like a little girl, scared to death of what awaits them because they know in the end they're going to stand before the living God. And each of us will stand before him to give an account for the deeds done in our body. I believe this man was hurting. You, you don't get to the end of your life and not have regrets. Anybody, anybody else besides me have regrets? Great regrets. Haunting regrets. He was in physical pain, but I believe there was more of pain. The pain was greater in what I could have been what I could have done, what I should have done, what wrongs I should have made right, what things I should have explored, what I should have tried to do. And he got to the end of his life and the physical pain that he was experiencing is a parallel of the spiritual pain that comes upon people at the end of their life when they realize, I have wasted my life on myself instead of spending my life for God. He was in incredible pain. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He was naked. Historians and commentators go between he had either a piece of a, a fabric to cover his private or nothing there. But in the end, there's no covering for our sins. They do these psychological profiles and questionnaires about people's greatest fear and i'm surprised i guess because of what i do but the greatest fear that people in the west have do you know what it is public speaking i'm thinking naked in public that's what i'm i mean you know you have those nightmares where you're walking through belks hello how are you good to see you do you have those and just grabbing clothes off the rack like what am i doing i always in my sleep go why don't you have any clothes on well, don't just see the embarrassment of this man. See the inability to clothe himself. And spiritually, Adam tried little fig leaves and God said, it's not working. You know what we try today? I'm going to be a good man. It's not working. I'm going to build houses for habitat for humanity. It's not working. Spiritual nakedness can only be clothed by God. You cannot help yourself. And the fig leaves, the works of this world, are ineffective. They may hide your nakedness from man, but they do not hide your nakedness from God. They do not. Others would say, well, you're okay. You joined the church. You join the church. Here's a fig leaf. Uh, I, I, I christened you when you were a baby. Here's your fig leaf. The only thing that covers a man's nakedness. In this world, it's clothing. In the next world, it's clothing. It's the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the only covering for our nakedness that makes it from this world to the next. This man was doomed. Listen to this. This man was not ready to die. Notice how there's this this, uh, swirling of... Of evil and uncertainty, of arrogance and humility. It's like he's, he's cursing Jesus one moment and then correcting the other guy the next moment. He's not ready to die. He's not ready to die. And I want to submit to you this morning. First of all, I'm no one. You don't owe me an audience and uh, what you think of me is irrelevant. But if I speak truth, whether it comes from a doctor or a gas station attendant. Truth is truth is truth. This man, this man in truth was not ready to die. Are you ready to die? I submit to you, if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. Now, I'm not saying you're standing at your door going, oh, I hope it's today, I hope it's today, the physical part, you know. I've got my babies to raise, and there's things we want to do. But what I mean is, are you ready to stand before the Lord? The most common dream in a church family, I know you've heard this now for 22 years, but it's the truth, and there are visitors here today that need to hear this. When you boil down the soup of John Wood, who he is, small as he is, the most reoccurring dream I have that's a spiritual dream is that I'm dying. Whether I'm in a hospital room or at home, sometimes the location is different. And in my dream, I feel like, I don't know what bleeding out feels like, but that's what it feels like. All the lights are starting to go dim, and I know I'm dying. And I hear people calling me, John, John, Daddy, that that kind of thing. And I'm fading. And out loud in my sleep, it's so real to me that my body is speaking. I'm laying in the bed, I mean out And I know that I'm about to stand before God. And I I wake myself up saying, Lord, I want you to know when I stand before you, I don't bring anything but the blood of Jesus. Nothing, no sermons, no church, no preaching, no anything. Just what Jesus did, just what Jesus did, just what Jesus did. I had nothing to it, nothing. Don't mention a good work with it because it will ruin the sacrifice. I'm ready to die because I know that he died for me. I'm ready to stand before the Lord, but not because I'm a good person. It's the opposite. I'm ready to stand before the Lord because I accepted his verdict upon me, which was guilt, which qualified me for mercy. Only the guilty receive mercy. So, John, you said you're ready to die. I know I would have regrets. I know I could have been a better dad, a better husband, a better man, a better pastor, a better friend. I know all those things. But are you ready to stand before the Lord and declare your innocence based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. All my eggs are in that basket. That's it. Well, now that, you're, now that you've accepted that, what part do you play? None. I am dependent upon the mercy of Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. Well, don't you have to join a church? No. Don't you have to ride a 10-speed for a couple of years? No. Don't you have to be baptized? No. He asked me to be baptized, but baptism doesn't save. You must be born again, born again by the Spirit of God, the rejuvenation uh, and the, the, the rekindling of our spiritual life made possible by grace. This thief was not ready to die, and I could tell because of the cracks in his personality and his temperament and in his words. This thief was closer to Jesus than he ever realized. What is in this passage? Is it just a historical account? Is that it? Is it just like a news reporter saying this is what happened? Or are there spiritual truths right under the veil of the historical account that are more profound than the actual happenings on the cross? This thief was dying, guilty, alone, naked, regretful, and Jesus was one arm's length away. God draws near to the brokenhearted. He draws near to the sinner so much so that Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. He said, "Well, brother John, it's easy for you to say, you do not know what I've done." And it could range from simple thievery to child abuse. You you don't know what I've done. And I would submit to you, those that are well don't need a physician. It's those that are sick that need a physician. And I would submit to you that the worse you are, the nearer he is. Because the people that are worst among us, we hang our head the lowest. And we need to be close enough to hear him, to feel his breath upon us saying, This thief was nearer to Jesus than he realized. We see a softening going on in his. He went from cursing Jesus to saying, Leave him alone. We see a quickening that happened. A quickening. We see him starting to recognize who Jesus was, who Jesus is, who he was. And right before a person gets saved, they're getting saved, they're softening. And I know it was 100 years ago, but I remember in 1984-ish, about two years before, as an adult, I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I gave my life to him. I remember that I started despising in other people who I was. Like if someone was just a party boy, waste case, I would just disdain them. See, I wasn't at the place of disdaining myself, but if I see them, Living like that or doing that. And I'm guilty of the same things. But I started to despise in them who I was. The Lord started softening me with events. Anybody have been shot at besides me? Okay. Now, now outside of military. Anybody been shot at local? All right. Okay. you. Gotcha. Not police or anything. Us guys, we have an idea of what we do. Shoot me up. Uh, grab the gun, pop that elbow, you know, uh uh-huh, what you going to do now? Mine didn't work like that. I was in college. I took Jabbo outside to use the restroom. Jabbo, greatest dog ever lived. I'll tell you about it if you want to hear stories about it. Greatest dog ever lived. Uh, I took him outside, and I come back in. There's three men in my apartment. One was holding a TV. One was holding a stereo. And the other had a gun, and he just pulled it over. And, I mean, he was as close as me to this pulpit, boom, and the wall blew away. Say, what'd you do? I ran. No, no, not, not jogged. When I left the room, all you saw was the drape go. And the guy said, what was that? I don't know, but it was something fast. So someone called the police, they came and interviewed me and this is what they told me, I know they were just doing their job, And they said, uh, so this man shot at you. I said, yes, sir, I could have reached out and touched him. He said, no, you couldn't have done that. You'd have had powder burns. I said, listen, catfish, I could have reached out and touched my boy right here. He said, well, how many shots did he get off at you? One. What do you mean how many? I mean, back, back in the day, I was fast, quick, all of the above. And I ran and hid behind a dumpster. I said, he got off one. But the Lord the Lord will allow things to happen in the indestructibility of your youth that will wake you up to how fragile life is. And I got to thinking about it. I could have died. I woke up one morning beside my motorcycle next to the new apartments, which are now the old apartments at Mercer. It was about 10 a.m. And I woke up, curdled up beside my bike, and... My helmet was right beside me and people were walking to class. That'll make a mom and dad proud, won't it? They're walking around me. I woke up and there was dew all over my face. Did not remember how I got there. Several years after I got saved, the Lord brought that memory back to me. And said, Do you remember that? Yeah. He said, my angels kept you. Because I didn't want you to die in your sins. And some of us have been preserved. Not by our skill or our cunning or our speed to exit a building or our ability to navigate uh, motorized vehicles while intoxicated. We've been preserved because God knew if we died in our sins, we would go to hell. He knew that. And He graced us. He graces you before He graces you. He keeps us. This man on the cross began to be repentant. Just just follow this, would you? He said, he, he told us, I guess he was an acquaintance or at least knew him. He said, what is wrong with you? Don't you see that we're suffering the same condemnation? Now, he's not talking like I'm talking. Every word Causes unspeakable pain because he has to raise up and tear tendons in his hands and his feet, and, his, and, and, the, and the, makes it hard upon his lungs to press up. He can hardly speak. And he goes, This man has done no wrong. We're guilty of our sins. And there it was something about the moment. And God quickened him, and he saw it. I am guilty. And he is not. I am guilty. And he is not. So if he is not guilty, why are you dying? And the stories he heard as a child of Messiah coming. He didn't know about the cross, he didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the gospel, the redemption, the three days buried. He didn't know about that, but if he had heard anything growing up, he heard in Isaiah where it said Jesus would be numbered among the transgressors. And he said, Transgressor, transgressor. I'm it. I'm what you wrote about. I'm not identifying with you. You're identifying with me? And he saw it. And he asked him to remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. What a, what a story. No philosopher, no artist, no no uh, writer could could imagine such a grace where God God, the eternal God who had no beginning, would bring himself and humble himself to be conceived in the womb of a woman, born in a, in a manger, laid in a feeding trough, and would grow up to be the death, uh, to, to, to die a Savior's death so that people like us could be forgiven. He was numbered with you and I, fully identified. See, the thief, and, and I hope I'm clear on this part because you, you have to see this. So th- think, think of the thief and this thief. What you're seeing happen in the natural, they were paying for their crimes. But Jesus had committed no crime. What he was paying for in the spiritual is that God did a spiritual act that could not be discerned with natural eyes. He took the sins of the entire world up to that point and the sins that were to come and he put them upon Jesus Christ and the sky went black for three hours. And when he got ready to die, there was a great earthquake. And when he gave up the ghost, there was a veil in the Holy of Holies. Very thick, impossible to be torn. You couldn't, you couldn't tear it with cutting instruments. Thick, thick garment. And at the moment Jesus died, the veil which blocked access to God was ripped, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, and it was finished. These men successfully paid for their earthly crimes, and Jesus successfully paid for your spiritual ones. It was done. Somebody bless the Lord this morning. Isn't that wonderful? So we know that this man was gloriously saved. Now let's talk about the Savior on the cross. He was there in the will of God. It was the plan of God. He was born to die. The Lamb of God that was killed before the earth was ever created. It was all part of the plan. God said, if I make man and I make him be righteous, then I have a robot. You will worship me. You will do good. So can you imagine a church service today and where everybody comes, Lord, I thank you because you make me thank you. I bless you because you make me bless you. I have no will, I have no say. You are who you say you are. Hallelujah. God knew in his foreknowledge that's not what he was after. And he said, and if I give you free will, you're going to sin. So if you sin, I've got to redeem you back and pay for your sins. And the plan was that Jesus was the offerer, the offering, and being in God to accept the offering could redeem you back from your sins So you now can worship Him of your own will, not being forced. And the salvation pours from a willing heart, a joyful heart. Not not someone without sin, but someone who's been forgiven of their sins. Jesus was there on the cross. The Jews didn't kill Him. The Romans didn't kill Him. The Bible said He was killed before the earth was made. He was already slain in the eyes of God. The Savior on the cross was revealing the heart of God. What kind of God would send someone to hell? That's the Oprah chant of this generation. I don't want to hear about that kind of God. What kind of God would send someone to hell? What kind of God would let you in? Let me in. I'll tell you the kind of God that could judge someone. The kind of God that would take their place so they wouldn't have to be judged. That's the kind of God. The Savior was satisfying the justice of God. Okay, let's go to the natural realm. Somebody, a drunk driver, hits your car and kills your wife and children. Do they get to go free? Shake your fist. No. There has to be justice. Yes, there's mercy, but you, you can't get by with stuff. Because if you just get by with it, there's chaos. And God didn't let us get by with us. It was paid in full. It's like the judge Saying to the drunk driver, you are guilty of vehicular homicide and you're going to spend the next 20, 25 years in prison. Case dismissed. And as they go to take him away, if this were possible, this is as close as I can explain to you. The judge takes his robe off and says, let him go. I'll take his sentence. And goes to jail for him. This death satisfied justice. It wasn't God letting people like you and I go. It was Jesus paying the penalty. It was the fulfillment of the promise of God. It demonstrated the power of God. It proved the love of God. It granted access to God. And it released the grace of God. And this is what I want to take just the next few moments and we'll be done. I want to talk to you about the, the grace of God. Grace and mercy. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. You can't do it. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are saved by the grace of Grace and mercy, grace and mercy. Mercy is withholding something from you that you do deserve. How many of y'all got nasty, mean co-workers or family? Nasty. You don't need me to describe nasty. Hey, good morning. Is it? Is it? See, y'all think just because you're a preacher, you don't ever have those moments. And I'll have somebody be rude to me especially if I'm on the phone somebody from New Delhi trying to talk to me and I'm trying to hear that I said can can I can I get someone that that can understand me you know and they don't know what I'm saying and there's there's the part of us that rises up that we just we're not gonna take it y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) I I, like you don't know me before I was a Christian I cussed you out for 10 minutes and not say the same word twice I'm a communicator Y'all ever, y'all ever act a certain way in public and then check to see if your Christ Chapel shirt's on? <laughs> and then I forget, they've probably seen me on TV, so I'm in trouble, you know. Mercy is withholding something from someone that they, that they deserve. Like they bless you out and you go, hmm, that's mercy. If I walk away and don't give you peace of my mind, that's mercy. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. Mercy keeps something from you you do deserve. Grace gives you something you don't deserve. So now follow. I deserve death. And God, spiritual death, separation from God for eternity, hell. And He keeps that from me. Now He could just leave me in uh, obliteration, He could leave me unconscious. But then He gives me something that I never deserved, grace. He gives me eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So hell is kept from us, and heaven is made available to us, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. What an unexpected grace. So back to the cross, we're winding this up, back to Golgotha. Who in their right mind would have thought that Jesus would have turned to someone like me or you and gave them grace? Who would have ever thought that someone like me or you would be in here on a Memorial Day willingly lifting our hands in all that we're going through and telling the Lord how grateful we are? Who, it was unexpected. Even if you wanted it, it's unexpected. Grace is so amazing, not just in who gives it, but in who gets it. You and I are forgiven. It's rare now because it's been so long ago, but every now and again, I'll see someone from Mercer uh, back from, you know, 80 to 81 to 86. I was on like a six-year plan. I'll have to explain it to you later. It was a long And they hey, what you been doing with yourself? I said, I'm a preacher. And every now and again, it used to happen all the time, but now most everybody knows. And after we get them up off the floor, they're good, and I tell them the story, and it's all good. And they'll say, what? I said, for 30 years, this July. And one will say, you? That's scandalous, isn't it? That's what I'll tell them. I said, it's a scandal, isn't it? It's unheard of, isn't it? It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's unthinkable, isn't it? It's a grace that transcends common sense and resides in the heart of those who have been forgiven. And we understand that this grace is amazing, not because of who gave it, but who got it. People like you and I. It's an undeserved grace. It's an unimaginable grace. It's an undeniable grace. If our musician would come, please, this morning. Undeniable. It's an intentional grace. There was a day scheduled for you to come to faith. Salvation does not come by the will of man, but by the will of God. Before God formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. And there was intentional burst of revelation and insight and quickening so you would come to faith. It's an immediate grace. I love it when he said, Jesus, re- remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, today. Huh? Today. Watch, this is so powerful. Lord, I'm not going to be able to do anything for you. Grace ain't about what you can do for me, buddy. Grace is about what I can do for you. And immediately, where are the priest? Where's the last rites? Where's the pastor? I submit to you from that cross, that thief would never be able to do one thing for Jesus. And he was saved. Immediately. Well, I said, how you doing, man? How you doing in your walk? Well, I'm trying to be saved. I'm like, oh, you'll never make it. But you know I'm trying. Salvation is not a process. It's an immediate fact. I know you work out the fact. I'll give it to you this way. Becoming parents is immediate. Parenting is a process. Y'all noticed that my three and a half weeks in Daytona turned into eight days. I told Kelly, I said, I got to get home before I die. I need a vacation for my vacation. I was drilled. So I am, I was saved. I am saved and I'm being saved. But all I'm doing is working it out now. It's undeniable. The change, great change come over me. Great change come over me. One of my favorite songs when I first got saved was Tremaine Hawkins and she sang about what a wonderful change has happened in me. A wonderful change, a glorious change. I couldn't ever get it, I'd, I'd visit church and people would stand and clap and I'd say, what, what are they doing? I get it now. I got saved and I'd walk into church and they'd just, just good morning. I'd start crying, just start crying. I'd read the scripture and I'd go, God, my eyes were open. It's undeniable. This grace is unmistakable. It's unimaginable. unimaginable. It's unqualified. It's intimate. He didn't save the group. He saved the man. And it's complete. That's what I want you to see. When he said, this day you will be with me in paradise, that's it. Well, what if? Ain't know what ifs. Well, how about? There's no how abouts. When God saves you, He saves you fully, completely, eternally. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. Why do you always preach, you must be born again? Because you must be born again. What part did you play in your first birth? What part do you play in the second? Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse from within. Grace, grace, God's grace. God's grace. Let me read this to you. Everything that was recorded happened, but not everything that happened was recorded. I, I don't know that this happened, but mightn't there be more dialogue in the three hours of darkness? when he couldn't see Jesus? If it happened in your heart, would you say something? Now, we don't know. Don't say that John said he said that. I don't know. But I wonder when he said, remember me. Jesus, don't forget to remember me. Remember this moment. Remember us. Remember what they wrote above your head that you're the king. Remember what you prayed, that the Father would forgive them. I heard you pray that. I'm in them. Remember what I asked, that you would remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember what you said to me. You said today that I would be with you. Remember that I believed. Remember how quiet I got after you gave me your word. I didn't add one thing, one word, one prayer to the promise that you would save me. And then when Jesus died... Here's another little type, you can flesh it out later. There was a period when Jesus died first where he couldn't see Jesus, the living Jesus anymore. That's where we are today, I can't see him. And they broke the men's legs so that they couldn't raise themselves up to breathe, it was horrible. And there's a gap between our salvation and our going home to be with Jesus where it's very difficult to live in this world. It's painful, but you have the promise. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. You're gone now. I cannot see you, but I believe. Those around you are laughing, but I believe. I'm in the minority, a great minority, but I believe. I know I wasted many years, God, but I believe today. When I called you, Lord, I was putting you on the throne of the universe. When I asked you to remember me, I was putting you on the throne of my heart. When I spoke of you coming into your kingdom, I was putting you on the throne of David. I know who you are in the grand scheme of history and the minutiae of my life. You're in the Messiah, the one who would come and save the people from their sins. I believe in you, Lord, exclusively. All together, firmly, wholeheartedly, unashamedly, and successfully. I die now. I'm ready. I know I didn't deserve it, but I got your grace. Oh, the thought that forgiveness is mine. My eyes are about to close, but that I know that when I awake, I will be in your presence. Paradise. Yeah, that's what you call it. Paradise. Just me and you walking in the garden of the king darkness covered the earth there was a great earthquake the priest in the temple saw that veil being ripped and it collapsed it would take an army of men to move that veil out of that temple what does this mean that we have access anybody can just walk in to the access of god and with all this scurrying and they pushed the sword in Jesus aside and outflowed blood and water. But there was another man to his left that died with spiritual eyes that were darkened and went to the abode waiting final judgment. And based on your pastor's understanding of theology, it happened something like this Here I come, Lord. They'd broken his legs, he couldn't stand. Here I come, Lord. Here I come, Lord. And he opened his eyes and Jesus said, Told you. Told you. You could be at the end of your life having never given God a time of day or gone to church. It doesn't matter. Grace is available to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. What saith you about the Christ? Would you bow your head this morning? No one looking around. I will not embarrass you. I give you my word. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm asking you if you have never made a profession of faith. You don't owe me nothing. You're not joining this church. You don't even have to like this church. It's irrelevant. But something in you said what that guy talked about today rings true in my heart and you say Pastor John I believe today for the first time my eyes are open I once was blind but now I see I'm changing my tone like the thief on the cross and I believe if that's you just slip your hand up and put it back down that's all I ask God bless you sir I believe, Pastor John. Anybody else? Do you believe? You believe? Wait just a moment more. What will you do with Jesus today? Come on, sir. It's not too late. Where are you today? Where are you today? The rest of you, would you look this way before we close this service? If you give me three minutes, I'll be done. Now having this knowledge, you shouldn't be working toward, you should be working from your salvation. I can't be any more saved than I am. I'm free. I'm at peace. I'm whole. What I offer you now, Lord, is not to get something. I'm there. I'm bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. I'm your son. Beloved, now we're the sons of God. See, that's the freedom. I don't have to call anybody into my hospital room when I'm dying to pray something. I've already prayed my prayer. He's already gave me the promise. We're saved. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child and forever. I am, not I hope to be, saved. The thief on the cross simply tells us this. If you can die in the last moment with nothing to offer and receive the same salvation as someone who's loved the Lord their whole life, That's amazing grace. (laughs) Isn't it wonderful? Aren't you glad to be in the number? Somebody bless the Lord this morning. Would you stand with me as we offer a prayer today? Would you do this for me? Don't, Don't just stand there, please. And don't just think it, but in your own words, in your own words, loud enough for you to hear yourself. Don't just think it. I want you to say it. I want you to thank the Lord from your heart for the grace that was given to you. In your own words, tell him. Saved. Saved. You saved. Forgiven, whole, loved, enjoyed. I close with this verse for you. He told the thief that day that he would be with him in paradise where he had to preach the gospel to all the Old Testament saints that had died looking forward to the Lamb of God, and he introduced himself as such. He told him, he said, today, you know what he tells us? Soon. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. He told us soon this same Jesus that was taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. For the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and everybody that's ever died in Christ is going to get up out of the ground. Then we, we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know what I'm looking forward to? When that trump goes off and gravity loses its hold, I hope we shoot up like rockets. I hope it's not this great. I hope we just take off. What if, what if, what if the first words Jesus told you when he sees you was told you? Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you today.